Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Glad you're with us as we broadcast from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton, PK, back with us tomorrow. Uh, a lot to discuss involving Alabama and Georgia last night. The Bulldogs taking down the Crimson Tide to win the championship for the first time since 1980. We'll uh, continue our discussion Hudson Mason, former Georgia quarterback, will join us in about an hour and 20 minutes. Looking forward to that chat. Right now, though, each and every Tuesday at this time, John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, TexasSportsNation.com. He's covered the NFL for nearly five decades, and he is a Pro Football Hall of Fame selector, among many other accolades that go along with the bio. You can follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. There are a lot of headlines and notes and topics to discuss. We'll do our best to hit them all. John, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? We are excellent. Uh, you were, of course, were in the press box in Houston watching Titans and Texans. The, the Titans survived that game, survived the comeback by the Texans to lock down the number one overall seed. And as that game's going on, I'm sure you're paying attention to some scores around the league. Um, in fact, I know you were at halftime because you were so bored. Um, what what were you thinking, John, when you saw the Jag score? And then what what were what came across? You know, just the scenarios for you when you actually learned that the Colts coughed that game away and choked away the playoff run that everyone was talking about them having. Well, Jonathan and Chad, like I'm always watching the scores of every game going on in the league, besides keeping up with the one that I'm covering. And I kept thinking the Colts are going to come back. It's no big deal. And I told the two guys from the Chronicle next to me, I would give them updates on the scores. And I'd be, wow, Jacksonville scored again. And then I didn't take it seriously until it got to the fourth quarter. And I couldn't believe it. I've seen a lot of big upsets in my career, but I can't remember one that was a bigger choke job than what the Colts did because that game is still, I just, it's inexplicable to me how a team could not be ready to play with those circumstances and to lose the last two games when they had a clear path to the playoffs and nobody wanted to play them because of Jonathan Taylor. And then when they needed Carson Wentz the most, he came up small instead of big. And that loss is going to haunt the Colts throughout the offseason. No doubt, because they don't even have a first-round pick because that's now going to Philly. Philly has a first-round pick from Indy. They have three first-round picks, I believe, and they're in the postseason, meanwhile, Indy's sitting at home. And I brought up that topic first, John, because that loss to Jacksonville put into play a lot of various scenarios over the afternoon. It kept Pittsburgh alive in an overtime win. We saw what happened in the overtime win for the Raiders. It allowed the Raiders and the Steelers to get in Meanwhile, the Chargers and the Colts are out, and no one saw the loss coming to Jacksonville, even though the Colts haven't won there since 2014. 
that Sunday night game between the Chargers and the Raiders, I've never seen a situation like that. And when it came down to overtime and Rich Bisacci is having Derek Carr hand off the ball, I'm thinking they're going to tie. They're both going to go to the playoffs. And Big Ben's career is over. And everybody in Pittsburgh, you know, holding their breath like crazy. And then all of a sudden, Brandon Staley calls a timeout with 38 seconds left, which made no sense. And so then the Raiders said, you know what, we're going to win this game. And I think it'd be not it called that timeout. They just run out the clock. They would have tied. They would have both made the playoffs. And Big Ben would be headed into retirement this week. It's it's amazing that the Pittsburgh story with the Monday Night Football game for Big Ben, the send off. You know, surely the season is over for this team without an offense. The fourth and eight play against Baltimore. He's not good anymore. That offense is atrocious. I think they're headed into an absolute beatdown in Kansas City. But here they are, the Pittsburgh Steelers, as as Mike Tomlin said, John, we have a lot of warts. But what we continue to fight, it's it really is incredible to see them in the playoffs and everything that had to go on to get them there. Well, that was very true what Tomlin said. The most exciting player is TJ Watt. To see him tie the all-time sack record and miss two games this season, I wish he'd been able to break it, but I love watching him just like I love watching J.J. Watt. And when he's chasing Patrick Mahomes, that's probably going to be the most exciting thing for the Steelers. And I look for the Chiefs to beat them up pretty big. But it's still an amazing way for the Steelers to finish, to reach the playoffs, especially when so many of us left them for dead. Looking at Jacksonville, I I think that loss uh, by Indy says a lot more about Indy than it does Jacksonville's fight. But I will give them credit because – it appeared they had quit weeks ago, and they came up with something to get that win. Moving forward now for that organization, John, I saw Tony Dungy throw his hat in the ring for Jim Caldwell, his buddy who coached for him, saying, that's an organization that needs someone with experience. They need an adult in the room. You know Bill O'Brien well, who had success in this division. What do you think of Bill O'Brien with Jacksonville? What do you think of Jim Caldwell, another guy you know in the division with the Jacks? I wrote a column for the Chronicle and Texas Sports Nation today for tomorrow about the possibility of Bill O'Brien going to the Jaguars. And if he doesn't get the head coaching job, there's a report he may interview for the offensive coordinator job at Carolina. And I wrote about the possibility of being Deshaun Watson being reunited in Charlotte. But what I can't figure out with the Jaguars, Trent Baalke, the general manager, supposedly has recommended O'Brien. And anybody that knows Bill, no matter what he says publicly or what he says in his interview about not wanting control of personnel, that's preposterous. He does. He got it here away from two general managers, became general manager, made some terrible trades, and then he got fired after no four start in 2020. It wasn't his coaching that got him fired. Now, he was 10-2 against the Jaguars. He was 6-0 and against them before he got to Sean Watson in 2017. And the things that are going to impress Shad Khan is that record against him, 10-2. and Also, his work with Deshaun Watson, he coached him. And Bryce Young, he coached him. And he'll come in there and say, I'm the man you need for Trevor Lawrence. And they finally got a glimpse of what Trevor Lawrence is capable of doing in that last game against the Colts, 
And I would imagine that's going to weigh heavily in the decision that the owner Shad Khan will make. I don't know if he's going to get the job, but uh, I know this people in Houston sure would like to see him twice a year. John, I feel bad for David Coley uh, in, in all of this because he was handed an impossible situation. And I'm watching Houston. I see a team that continues to play hard, continues to fight. They still have players. And Davis Mills became something late in the season. He was great in the second half against a Titans team that had the world to play for in that game. What is going to happen with David Coley? What's, what's happening right this moment with the Texans and their decision on David Coley? I wrote last week and I wrote again today, it would be grossly unfair to fire Cully after one season. And if they do, it tells me that general manager Nick Casario and senior VP of football operations Jack Easterby have had this plan since the get-go. Now, they say they're having a thorough evaluation of the organization. I believe they'll, at the, sometime before the end of the week, will say they're going to move on and they're going to move on in the direction of somebody from New England, one of their cronies like offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels, linebackers coach Gerard Mayo. Now, Brian Flores got fired by the Dolphins, and Armando Salguero had such insight into that firing. It had nothing to do with his coaching. It had to do with his personality, the way he dealt with people, and how he couldn't keep coordinators. That's exactly the way it was here with Bill O'Brien. Everybody walked on eggshells, but Flores worked 15 years with Nick Casario in scouting and in coaching, and that might have gotten their interest, but they're acting like they're doing this thorough evaluation, and I say if they are and they don't know if they want to keep Cully or not, then they, they're terrible at their jobs. They've been with him for 11 and a half months. They stuck him with a roster, and I wrote that they had him shoveling all the you-know-what and that's what he did, and he kept a smile on his face. He's a good man. He does not deserve to be fired. He deserves a second season. But, guys, I got to tell you, I'm in a minority when it comes to the media in Houston. Most of them think David Gully should be fired. John McClain with us. I've got a follow-up on Flores, but first with Cully, why leave him guessing, I guess is my thing. You can tell by his answer that he doesn't know one way or the other uh, when he speaks to you guys there. I, I just don't uh, – first off, the, the, the idea that they're doing a thorough evaluation of the organization um, sounds like, you know, attorney's fees when they're doing an investigation into a university uh, where you know the outcome and they're just billed by the hour and that keeps – that continues to load up. Or hiring a coaching search firm when you know who the, who the guy's going to be anyway. I laugh at that because we know the result of that uh, inquiry on the, the current status of the Texans. Uh, you've been writing about it all all season. It's not good. Um, that's why Cully's there, and that's why Watson's not there. But why leave him guessing, John? It's a crock because they want people to think they're doing this thorough evaluation, and if they're going to keep him, that would be the fair thing to do. He deserves a second season based on what they've stuck him with. He won as many games this season as they won last season with Deshaun Watson playing great. And they had J.J. Watt and Will Fuller and they were they they were so much better talent wise last year, even though the record didn't reflect it. So I think it's a sham. I don't know what they think they need to know. And boy, we're not buying into it. John, going back to Flores being out in Miami, you you covered the Deshaun Watson saga uh, over the last year. Um, 
Miami was always linked to the to Watson because Watson had tagged Miami uh, as a team he would go to and waive his no trade clause with Houston. Did Flores have any uh, any direction in in Watson versus not wanting him? Like, did you ever get a sense that it was coach versus GM on the quarterback situation in Miami, and then maybe that played a factor in any way? No, Brian Flores wanted him. Chris Greer wanted him. The GM, the owner. Stephen Ross wanted him. It was all set for three ones, three and a five. And then right at the last minute, Stephen Ross said, eh, he's got to settle those lawsuits. And it was on Thursday before the trading deadline on Tuesday. And Watson finally agreed to try to sell him. He hadn't done it before that. Somebody convinced him it'd be an admission of guilt, but they couldn't get all 22 done by the Tuesday deadline at 4 Eastern. And so it fell apart. And Miami will still be interested. The problem is they don't have their number one pick. Their number one pick comes from the 49ers. 49ers made the playoffs. Could be it'll be in the 20s. And there's a lot of other teams that were interested that have a lot higher picks. That's why I think it'd be great if O'Brien went to the Panthers as offensive coordinator and they could get him to wave that wave that no trade clause, come back to North Carolina and Charlotte is 200 miles from his hometown of Gainesville, Georgia. And, and but I'll, one more thing on Watson, and then we can move on to the big storylines. But Stephen Ross was asked about Harbaugh and Watson and the decision to let Flores go. And he says that they're not interested in, in Watson, or at least that's how I read his answer in, in the Herald uh, yesterday. Anything to that? What would you expect him to say? Yeah, we're interested in Watson. We don't like Tua. He got to say that because Watson's under contract here, which would be tampering. So he can't say anything about Deshaun Watson. John McClain with us. Coming up, we will uh, chat about some of the wildcard matchups. One by one, we'll go through uh, what game he finds the the most interesting of all the matchups we're going to see on Saturday, Sunday, and now Monday night. We'll compare it to what Withrow told us uh, yesterday. We'll also discuss the job that Rich Bisaccia has done with the the Vegas Raiders and the job of just getting them to the postseason despite everything, the litany of issues that went on with the Raiders this year. And we'll compare and contrast some of the openings across the NFL. Zimmer's out in Minnesota. They're cleaning house in Minnesota just like they're doing in Chicago. We'll compare uh, and get John's take on what those organizations need as far as direction. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. John McClain with us. He's with TexasSportsNation.com and the Houston Chronicle, but covers the entire NFL. He knows the league. Been covering it for nearly 50 years, and uh, luckily for us... The man is a legend. He's been with our show for more than a decade, and we absolutely love his visits with us each and every Tuesday afternoon here on the show. Both a Hall of Fame selector and a member of many Hall of Fames. Many Hall of Fames is John McClain. John, how does Brian Flores get fired before Joe Judge? I think because of things that were going on behind the scenes with his personality. Armando Saguero knows that better than anybody, and he's the only one I've seen write about it. It had nothing to do with his coaching. Now, he's got a general manager in place, Chris Greer, who has the ear of the owner, Stephen Ross. In New York, the Giants are hiring a new GM to replace Dave Gettleman, and they're going to let that new GM decide what to do with Joe Judge. 
as Vic Fangio found out in Denver, you know, a new GM comes in, you can stay one year, but man, you better win because every general manager takes a job has a list of head coaches that he's compiled and he wants one of his guys. So the giants might as well go ahead and get rid of Joe judge unless they hire a GM who's a big fan of his. And when Joe judge got that job, this just completed his second year. He was a Patriots special teams coach. I never heard anybody talk about him as a head coaching candidate. You heard that about, we heard that about a lot of other new England assistants, including Brian Flores and Josh McDaniels and now Gerard Mayo as well, but not Joe judge. John McClain with us, John in comparing Minnesota to Chicago, uh, both are cleaning house in their division. They're, they're, they're looking for a GM and a head coach. We, compare for me the direction of both franchises. One believes, I mean, they're hiring a GM and a head coach that will have Justin Fields. The other inherits a terrible, I mean, a ton of money left on the books for Kirk Cousins at quarterback, over $40 million against the cap next year, and it's tough to release him. No one's going to trade for him, so you're inheriting that. Um, which organization is set up to to succeed earlier? Chicago's got a good defense. I know that the Vikings have a, a, a legit receivers, but again, they they don't win close games. Which organization do you look at and think you know what that that's the organization that can take off with the right hire on at, in both fronts, GM and head coach? Vikings. Hmm. Now Rick Spielman getting fired that had been bounced around a little bit. That guy did a good job compiling talent. They got talent yeah. on both sides of the ball. He pulled the trigger on the Kirk Cousins deal. He's got one year left. They're going to have to go with him. Cousins in the bag quarterback. At times, he's really good. He can't win the big game. They were 13-3 and three with Case Keenum. Now, they made that change. I don't blame them. Nobody's going with Case Keenum as the answer to their problems. But the fact is, Spielman acquired some talent. Zimmer lost a lot of games in which they led and he couldn't hold the lead. People blamed him. And the fact is, you know, they got a great new stadium. They play indoors. The Bears always seem to have quarterback issues. I didn't see anything about Justin Fields this year. It made me think he was going to be really good, but it's his rookie year. I just fixed the facts. Davis Mills, a third round pick for the Texans, outplayed all those first round picks other than Mac Jones. That doesn't mean they can't be good. But what if the new coach and GM last year, they were not big Fields fans? And that that's not going to bode well. And I would imagine when they've gotten Bill Polian involved in the interview process, they're going to ask the new coach and GM, do you like Justin Fields? And they're going to say, oh, yeah, we had him really highly rated. He's going to be great. And then after one year, if he doesn't show significant improvement, the new regime's going to want a new quarterback. Chad, and you just follow up what he said about Kirk Cousins being good at times but not winning the big games. Four years there, three seasons where he's passed for 4,000 or more yards, and in each of those years, they've missed the postseason. That's nuts. Well, and John, that kind of leads me to a question I wanted to ask you about. We see all these lists. Uh, I know Armando Salguero did one at OutKick about ranking the best available jobs uh, for head coaches that's, that's in the NFL. I'd like to see two separate lists. One, ranking the job by quarterback situation, and one, ranking jobs by ownership of, of where you may end up. What's more important? Everything else equal. Is it ownership or quarterback? If you are a prospective head coach looking to take a job, what's the most important to your success? 
I think most of them would say it would be the quarterback because you can deal with owners. There's not a lot of owners like Jerry Jones that are involved in personnel every day. One reason Chris Ballard turned down several teams when he was at Kansas City, he wanted to go somewhere. They had a quarterback, and he went to Indianapolis, and they had Andrew Luck, and he thought he was set. And then Luck retired, and they haven't been able to settle on anyone, and now they're not committing to Carson Wentz for next season after he spit the bet in Jacksonville. So you got to have a quarterback. If you don't, you got to be able to be in position to get one. And if you got to get one this year, that's not good. Now, they may have guys drafted this year, go to the Hall of Fame, but when it comes to the projections, the evaluations of this quarterback crop, it is nowhere near like last season. But of those rookies that were taken in the first round last season, the only one who actually looked good was Mac Jones, and he played for the greatest coach in the history who had a good defense and a good running game. John, we'll, we'll get to the, the matchups this weekend in about five minutes and, and wrap up our time with you. But uh, first, let's continue with a few of the storylines from eight from week 18. Do you think we've seen the last of Russell Wilson in Seattle? They, they, had, they, they win the game uh, against Arizona, and then there's this bear hug after the win with both he and Pete Carroll. Uh, I'm trying not to read in too much to the finish of a season, but that'll be the last picture we see of those two until they make a decision on their future together. It sounds like Carroll's coming back based on his comments. What do you think about Russell Wilson? I think Russell Wilson will be right there. He's got two years left on his contract. He can't just say, I'm out of here unless he wants to retire. He played really well at the end of the year. And remember, he had to miss those three games during the season when he had surgery on, I can't remember if it was his thumb or a finger on his throwing hand. And when he came back, he wasn't the same quarterback till near the end of the season. So they went out uh, with a good taste in their mouths. They don't like not making the playoffs. That's not something they've become accustomed to. But I think he'll be back. And one reason is Rashard Penny, their running back, he got good against the Texans, and he didn't let up. And so now they have a legitimate running back there for the first time in a while. And I think that's important to Wilson because they need balance and they don't need him to be the guy that has to make the big play every time. What were your thoughts and takeaways from the Titans this past Sunday, seeing them in person for the second time and uh, seeing the, 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 the comeback that Houston put on and Tannehill able to, to lead them uh, down the field to get a couple touchdowns at the end and evading that sack? Uh, and, and staying alive for the 37-yard completion that, that led to a touchdown two plays later, and they secure the number one overall seed. What does the number one seed mean to you for this Titans team? Well, it gives Derrick Henry another week to re- come back from rehab and be ready. And I can't imagine in a divisional round they'll give him the ball 30 times. But whatever they do, I'm pretty sure he'll get 100 yards. It's amazing to me the way they continued – to run the ball so well. I figured up that the difference with running with Henry and without him was 92 yards. That's minuscule in the whole scheme of things. And he's going to be well-rested and hungry. And if they're playing outdoors, they're going to feed that beast. Tannehill, just like he did in Nashville last year, when they had to beat the Texans and Deshaun Watson in overtime, he came up big when he had to. And I thought it was a very impressive performance by him. And I look for the Titans right now to be in a Super Bowl. John, you said you think that Mike Vrabel is the NFL coach of the year because of the injuries, all the players and the roster, everything else. Who's second? Who's the top contender 
you, that you believe with the job they've done this season to Mike Vrabel for coach of the year? Based on how the committee picks these awards, they like coaches who go from very few victories to a lot. That would be Zach Taylor. I think that he's going to win the coach of the year. He's done a fabulous job for the Bengals. But you take any one of those star players out of that lineup, like uh, the Titans had to do with Derrick Henry, not to mention the injuries that kept A.J. Brown and Julio Jones out. You take comparable players out of Cincinnati's lineup, and they're not going to be as good as they were. That's why I think Vrabel deserves it, but I believe Taylor will win it. Based on just momentum that he has with the the discussion around the league, is that what you're you're guessing? Is that how kind of the, the cycle goes? That's the way it's been historically, and that's one reason you don't still see Bill Belichick. I think the last time he won it might have been 2010 when he consistently yeah. did a great yeah. job. And everybody said, well, he's got Tom Brady. And then, and that's what's happening with Matt LaFleur. That was a big push for him. But people are going to say, yeah, he's got Aaron Rodgers. And uh, that's another thing about Vrabel. The job that he and his staff, not just Mike, but his staff did, was phenomenal. That's why I think John Robinson ought to be a serious contender for executive of the year. Well, and going back to Taylor, do you think it's because the Bengals have been so bad for so long that the fact that they're now back in and they're divisional winners, they've won on the road at Baltimore, they won on the road at Pittsburgh, which they never do, do you think that plays into the whole vote? Do you think they're looking at the total picture of what happened in Nashville and, and all the injuries? Absolutely. They're looking at both, but I think historically, if you look at a team, they were 4-11-1, and and they're 10-6, and six, and they swept the Ravens, and they swept the Steelers, and they got a prolific offense, a balanced offense, and Zach Taylor did a tremendous job. I just don't think that he did as good a job as Mike Vrabel did, and I'm hoping the voters uh, will, will see it as I do, but I'm afraid they're going to see it Zach Taylor's way, and I can't really complain about that. I just don't think that uh, Matt LaFleur, as great a job as he's done for three years, is going to finish first or second. He's going to finish third. John McLean is with us on OutKick 360. John, to you, what's the best matchup of Wild Card Weekend? As things settled, we saw the bracket. Which game do you circle first? Well, let me tell you one I'm really excited to watch. It's not the best game. I love games played in cold weather. I love games played in snow. In Buffalo, it's a night game. It's single digits. It's 30% chance to snow, and it's the third game between the Bills and the Patriots. It's the first time Bill Belichick's played a wild-card game on the road. They won in Buffalo in that first game when the win was horrific, and then the Bills came back and won at Gillette Stadium. So I'm intrigued by this game because of the third matchup, but also because of the weather circumstances. Now, the game that I'm fired up to see the most is the Cowboys in the 49ers game. And that's because it's the 40-year anniversary of the catch. I covered the catch. I was standing behind the end zone when Dwight Clark swooped out of nowhere, made the catch right in front of me. I've tried to show people, there I am wearing that long coat. Of course, nobody recognized me because <laughs> 140 pounds ago and everybody's covered up. But uh, Kyle Shanahan said today, nobody remembers that rivalry. And he's right, but a lot of us do. And I watched the 49ers beat the Texans two weeks ago, and then I saw them have that great game against the Rams in which the 49er fans overran SoFi Stadium, and the Rams 
had problems calling plays with the 49ers fans making so much noise. So the 49ers and the Cowboys are old time sick. Yeah, and that rivalry was my childhood in the 90s. Anytime the Niners and the Cowboys were on, uh, typically on Fox with John Madden calling the game, it was always a big game, and that's why it's in that prime Sunday afternoon TV window. Uh, a non-prime TV window for Wild Card Weekend is typically that first game on Saturday afternoon. But, John, I'm looking forward to this one more than any of the others. Raiders at Bengals. I, I'm intrigued with the Raiders' story and how they got here, and I'm really excited to watch Joe Burrow and that Cincinnati offense in the playoffs. Sound like I'm with you on that one. I think it's going to be terrific. Uh, when the Texans were winning a division four out of five years, we always knew they got that early game, and they did. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people here can't imagine it's been so long since they made the playoffs, actually only two years, and people around the country are glad they don't have to see them. You got Joe Burrow, great offense. You got the Red Hot Raiders, a great story based on everything they've overcome. Now, as Rich Passaccia deserves some coach of the year, Voting, yes, he does. What he did is phenomenal. I hope he gets that job on a full-time basis and Mark Davis doesn't try to hit a headliner in Vegas like Jim Arbaugh because the guy's done a great job. And it will not surprise me if the Raiders shot the Bengals at Paul Brown Stadium. You know, it's you mentioned Bisaccia. I mean, he's been mentioned a couple of times. He's a former special teams coach. He's been mentioned a couple of times in job openings over the last three to four years, but he's never had the opportunity. Then he gets elevated. Here's the interim. And he's done, you've mentioned it. He's done a wonderful job. And just the list, starting with the Gruden emails, but, you know, the Henry Ruggs DUI and and uh, killing someone, driving 180 miles per hour, however fast he was going. I mean, just all the details throughout the entire season and the injuries to Waller and, and, we're still discussing whether or not he's going to be the Raiders head coach. Isn't that bizarre? It is bizarre. And they had a losing streak and we all left them for dead. And then all of a sudden they got some new life with one victory. And now they've won four games in a row. I like teams that go into the playoffs on a hot streak instead of teams that go in limping and the Raiders are hot. Their defense is playing well. And they've done most of this without Darren Waller, who's been hurt. Derek Carr got hot. People ready to run him out of Vegas and reduce him to some lounge act instead of a headliner. Now, all of a sudden, he's big on the strip. And so I think it's a, it's a great game to watch. And I'm becoming a Raiders fan just because of everything we've discussed. John, it's clear that people around Jim Harbaugh want everyone to believe that he would willingly take an NFL job and he's interested in leaving Michigan. Are you buying it? Do you feel like Jim Harbaugh legitimately wants out of the college game and he wants back into the NFL. He finally beats Ohio State. He finally has his best season, but he had to take a pay cut last year. And you know that sticks in his crawl. So every time I see a report about him being interested in Miami or Las Vegas, I'm thinking, agent, it's all generated by his agent. He's going to get a big new contract, put him up there, the Brian Kellys of the world making about ten million a year. It's smart. It's the it's the one it's the one way where I mean, if he goes to the Raiders, he's making John Gruden like money, and if he stays and gets his bump in pay, I mean, the top paid coaches in college football make John Gruden like money. So that's the way to elevate it. He just went to the college football playoff. Either way, he's going to get a payday. 
Um, John, the the Rams tend to really struggle against teams that come in with a mentality of wanting to push them around. We saw it firsthand on Monday Night Football with the Titans. We've seen it once against the Cardinals. It was earlier this season. It was in L.A., but then the Rams turned around and beat the Cardinals in, uh, in prime time in Arizona. What do you think about the Cardinals limping into the postseason? And for I mean, really, if you look at what the Rams have done, they're also trending in that direction. I'm intrigued by the 4-5 matchup because the Rams wouldn't have been hosting this game if not for Arizona losing to Seattle on the same day. And they lost at home to Seattle in that game. Matthew Stafford has become a turnover machine. Nobody understands why he just has. They don't run the ball like a lot of teams want to at this time of year. They're playing at home. I do not see the Cardinals winning two games at SoFi Stadium. I believe that Monday night game will be won by the Rams. They'll go on the road and lose. Tampa Bay throws it practically more than any team other than maybe Detroit. I think Tampa Bay has the second uh, fewest rushing attempts on the season. Meanwhile, Philadelphia, there's no team better at running the football currently than the Philadelphia Eagles. They were not able to run it on Tampa's defense the first go around, but the game after, it's very similar to Kansas City losing to the Titans and their defense taking off. Philadelphia's defense took off after that matchup, and they started running the football at like 140 yards per game clip. And I, they were lucky to be around 100 yards against Tampa's defense. If they can run the football and control the clock, can Philly pull the upset on the road? No, they didn't beat a team with a winning record all year. They were 0 for against teams that made the playoffs. I'm not taking anything away from winning nine games, but those are the facts. And the Buccaneers are trying to defend their title. We take for granted what Tom Brady is doing at 44. It's just unbelievable throwing for 5,300 yards, 43 touchdowns, and he's done it with receivers who are hurt with a running game that's coughing and sputtering like an old jalopy, and he just keeps coming through. I think the Buccaneers are the only team that has a chance to beat the Packers. I believe they beat them last year at Lambeau Field on their way to a Super Bowl victory. I don't know that they would do it again, but I certainly don't see them losing to the Eagles. Brady leads the league in passing yards and, and touchdown passes. And you mentioned everything you just said about Tom Brady, John. Is the MVP vote closer than what many expect it will be? I believe it is. I was watching ESPN this morning and four former players were casting their ballots, two for Brady, two for Rodgers. And that's going to be interesting to see and it's going to come down to one of those two. Both are deserving. It wouldn't bother me to see either one of those win the MVP award. Very, I mean, Brady at one point was leading the discussion. It's very similar to Coach of the Gear discussion because it was Belichick and then it was LaFleur. Now it's Zach Taylor. Maybe Vrabel's getting some more pickup there. Um, but at one point it was Brady. Jonathan Taylor was getting some mention. And then Brady lost a game at home. I'm trying to remember who it was to. And all of a sudden, everything went to Rodgers, and it hasn't turned back around to Brady. And it may have been the Saints. The Saints beat the Bucks, and everyone pointed to Rodgers. And I, I was thinking to myself, the Saints also beat Aaron Rodgers in week one. They scored three points against the New Orleans Saints. Um, I, I do think the vote's going to be a lot closer John, because I, of all that. I almost think that Hub Arkish coming out and saying what he said about Aaron Rodgers helps Aaron Rodgers in the voting. Because now riders are going to want to go against any notion 
that they're not voting Rogers Maybe. because he's unvaccinated. And I think he wins in a landslide for that reason. I think Hub Arkish unknowingly helped Aaron Rodgers win big. Chad, like that's a great observation, and I think you're 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 exactly right. There will be some thank you, that John. Say I don't want people to think that about me. And the voting is done when the regular season ends. Playoffs have nothing to do with it. Maybe people get tired of picking Aaron Rodgers to win the MVP so much, but then there's Tom Brady. And so it's not like it's some upstart. It's not like Jonathan Taylor ran for 2,500 yards or Cooper Cup had 2,500 yards. It's going to be one of those guys. I don't think it's going to be a landslide. I think it's going to be closer than that, but I do believe Aaron Rodgers is going to win it. And, of course, he would never give a shout-out to a guy called an absolute idiot. I don't want to discount or not think that Brady can accomplish something, but we're going back to a New England storyline here. With the receiving core that you currently see them have around him, do you see them making it back to the Super Bowl? Do you see them making it back to the NFC Championship game, John? Well, Mike Evans is healthy. He had two touchdown catches on Sunday. Gronk's healthy, and he's playing great. You know, he's got an other serviceable receivers. How many great receivers did he have in New England? He had Randy Moss at the end of his career. Last year, he had better receivers than he ever had with uh, the Patriots. Now, I think Mike Evans is better than any receiver he had in New England other than 2007 with Randy Moss when they were a deadly combination. So I think they're good enough to win. I think they're good enough to get back to the championship game. And with Brady, who could say he's not going to win at Lambeau Field uh, in the snow? He did it last year. He can do it again. I'm still picking Rodgers and the Packers, but I think the Bucs are the only team that has a chance to overtake them to go to another Super Bowl. Don McLean from the Houston Chronicle, TexasSportsNation.com, joins us weekly to discuss all the headlines around the NFL. John, thank you as always. Enjoy the week, and uh, we'll catch up with you and, and preview what is your favorite round of the postseason, the divisional round We'll be here right after uh, we, we get through the weekend. By the time you join us next week, we'll be previewing those matchups with you. Jonathan and Chad Lack, thank you guys very much for having me. Congratulations to those dogs. What a game. And uh, I can't wait for this round of the playoffs. Thank you. Yep, thank Thanks, you, John. John. John McClain, follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. Chad, when we come back, uh, I know there's a topic that you want to hit. Uh, that has you uh, pissed off for greatness. Yeah, I'm mad at ESPN um, for one big for reason everything. with last <laughs> night's coverage. I blame them for all all the ills of sport. No, one big reason that I'm really upset with ESPN from last night's broadcast of the national championship game. That is next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Love this place. You can swing by, say hello anytime you're in the Nashville area. If you're from the Middle Tennessee region, we say hello to you on Sports Radio 104.7 uh, and, and across the Outkick network, which includes Fox Sports Shoals, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, Huntsville, and Florence, Alabama, Fox Sports, Knoxville, and Somo Sports Radio in Missouri. Shout out to Joplin. We are uh, thrilled and excited to be uh, a part of the family there with the daily show from right here in Music City, talking all things football, uh, especially right here in the South. Chad, tell me what has you 
pissed off for greatness with last night's ESPN's broadcast of the national championship. Let me start with a positive and end with me pissed off. Okay, um, Fowler and Herb Street are terrific. They are great at whatever they do. I love their call of that game. They did a terrific job. They were great with the uh, the, the Chiefs-Broncos um, game this past weekend also in their doubleheader on ESPN. They were really good. Here's what bothers me. A lot of America is already angry that it's overly SEC in the national championship game. And ESPN started this years ago where they have the multicast experience. They have a sky cam. They have, you know, Homer radio or a Homer broadcast of each team. They do all these things because they have so many networks you can go to to show the national championship game. And I think it's a brilliant idea. I like the multicast experience if done properly. Here's where they failed America and they failed college football in a big way. You cannot have a coach's film room that consists entirely of the damn Texas A&M coaching staff, the program that just landed the best recruiting class in the history of college football does not need ESPN's help in further selling their own program. If we want to get away from the dominance of Nick Saban in Alabama and now the dominance of Kirby Smart in Georgia and what's going to eventually be in the next year or two, the dominance of Kirby, of, excuse me, of Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M, don't put the entire Aggie coaching staff on the film room. Now, people are going to say, Chad, What's the real value here? How many people are watching that? A lot of people are watching it. And this is not professional sports. There's no draft. There's no salary cap. The value of being on television and getting major play on a major network on a major night where eyeballs are all over the place on ESPN is enormous. They don't need the help. And give me a cross-section of coaches from across the country that are talking about the game. I want different backgrounds. I want different offensive philosophy. I want different defensive philosophy. I want diversity. I want to see different head coaches talking about the national championship game from their perspective. Give me Mike Leach talking with David Shaw. Don't give me Jimbo Fisher yucking it up with a dip in his mouth with his coaches talking about a team they beat in Alabama. ESPN failed us last night with this. I hated it. I think among the questions I would have is, you know, they're in, they're in bed with the SEC, right? And the holdup with the college football playoff expansion is no one trusts ESPN. They're going to say SEC, but yep. it's really ESPN. And this is a further example of that. I mean, uh, look, perception is reality here. Maybe there's a very easy explanation for it. I don't know what it could be. I can't drum it up for you right now. But... The perception is playing favorites, and they're doing that even more so within the own their own conference uh, that they're now in bed with. I, I I agree with you that it is overexposure for one specific program that is dominating the headlines and has the greatest class in the history of recruiting based on the way we rank things from these different publications. But you know the the only other coach I saw I didn't watch a lot of pregame coverage. The only other coach I saw was Luke Fickle on the sideline last night. Uh, looked like he'd been on TV for the first time ever in his life. <laughs> Didn't know to look at the camera. Yeah, Dan Mullen was on Here, with here's, them also. I, I am Luke Fickle right now. Uh, uh, Hosts are addressing the camera, and here's Luke Fickle. Looking around, up, down. Had no, I, mean, that's, I mean, that might be one of the reasons why. There's, there's some savvy to these SEC coaches 
because they're ready to go when the camera light's on. Well, here's um, so here's the big losers from last night. Uh, Tennessee and Auburn, because they have to play Alabama and Georgia every year. They're the only teams in America that have to do that. And really, every other SEC team that recruits against those three programs, th- that's the big loser. So it's not just great for the whole SEC. It's great for those three teams. Bad for the rest. Yeah, the, 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 other, the two teams playing and A&M, they're going to be good anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Don't help uh, them. <laughs> coming up, help headlines Andy. of the day next on Outkick 360.